good? Everybody hear me? Very good. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Rosemont Bible Church. If it's your first time here, you're very, very welcome. And for everyone online, we want to say you're welcome also. And we hope that today might be a blessing for everyone. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you again for this morning. Thank you that we can come together, that we can look at your word, that we can be with one another, uh, that we can experience the joy, Father, of worship and praise like we just did, uh, being uh, uh, in communion one with another, Father, contributing, contributing to each other's lives. We just thank you, Father. And we pray now as we go into your word that you might, your Holy Spirit might open our hearts and the eyes of our hearts that we might not only understand but that we might seize it and that our hearts, our minds, and our wills might be conformed to yours. In the name of Jesus, amen. Good morning. I'll be reading from Acts chapter 20. It's in, in its entirety this morning. It's a passage with a lot of difficult words to pronounce, so Les has asked me to do it. <laughs> Love you, brother. <clears throat> be reading from the New International Version. So, when the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. Because some Jews had plotted against him, just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Tychicus, and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas, but we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Now, seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. Now, when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground. From the third story, and he was picked up dead. Now, Paul went down, he threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said, he's still alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. And after talking until daylight, he left. And the people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. And when he met us at Asos, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day, we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos, and on the following day, arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I have lived 
the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you, for I've not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Finally, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was that his statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. Lord, bless the reading and understanding of his word. If you want to follow in your Bibles, go right ahead. It's in Acts chapter 20. Um, I was a little bit frightened I was speaking about Eutychus because I did not want anyone to fall asleep this morning, even though they wouldn't fall too far, but still. The real passage that I wanted to share was the passage concerning the elders when Paul speaks to them. Three, former, three, three of the former weeks, we have looked at the subject and the theme of discipleship. The first week was with Stephen McCarg, who talked to us about mentors and mentees, or mentors and disciples, and how we needed each other, actually, to be able to grow and to accomplish what God has given us. The week after, we had Nick Oswaldo that spoke to us about baptism, Praise the Lord, we had five uh, people that were baptized uh, two weeks ago in the back of me in the uh, tank. And uh, each of these people, each of these persons gave themselves to God to live for him. They became disciples. Because 
as we've seen in the last couple of weeks too, in Matthew 28, when the Lord gives uh, the great mission, he says, in going, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit. And so baptism is the start of uh, becoming a disciple. Last week, we had uh, Louis that spoke to us about how living as disciples enables us to have an impact in the world. If we really want to change the world, if we really want to change the people that are around us, if we really want to help them, what is needed is that the church and its disciples live as God wants and God will act. This morning what I wanted to do is I wanted to look at the question of disciples and I wanted to have or share with you some of what I see in Acts chapter 20 and from verse 18 to the end, uh, what I call the Paul's discipleship model. Paul had a strategy for the mission that God had given him. This strategy implied making and developing disciples that would also go and disciple others. Acts 20, uh, the last time we spoke on this in a French church, we took seven weeks to exposit Acts 20. There, it's almost as if every single verse has truths in it that just floor you. I said I'm not going to exposit it this morning. What I tried to do is I tried to find a way that I could share with you what I consider to be the most important elements in Paul's way of discipling. We read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5 to 7, it says, you know how we lived among you for your benefit. And you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord Jesus. As a result, you became an example to all the believers. So what we have in Thessalonians, one of the earliest, probably the second epistle that was written in the New Testament, even before all the Gospels and everything else, we have Paul explaining how he entered into Thessalonica and what happened. He was an example, they became imitators, and then they became examples for others. And what I believe that Paul is doing in Acts chapter 20 is he's trying to tell the Christians, because this is the only passage that we have in all of Acts where Paul speaks to only Christians. Another thing is, is that in Acts, uh, Paul, uh, the verses that he uses to speak to only Christians are, uh, there's quite a few of them. And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to teach the Christians, okay, listen, this is the way that I want you to act and to be so that as we go forth, what will happen is the work that I am doing will be multiplied out in the world. You see, as Louis read, Paul knew that at that moment, that was the last time that he would see the people from Ephesus. The last time. 
They realized that this was so, even at the end, that they, they got down, they kneeled. Uh, usually, they don't kneel when they pray, the Jewish people. It's only for special occasions that they get down and really pray. And they got down and prayed, and they cried because they knew that this was the last time that they would see Paul. So this, this passage is very, very important for the continuity of the church and for the continuity of God's designs. Very, very important. There's a way of looking at Acts and studying the Acts of the Apostles and seeing that in the Acts of the Apostles, it's almost like a reflect. It's like a, a mirror image of Jesus' last voyage from Galilee to Jerusalem in the Gospel of Luke. In Acts, what Luke is doing is he's taking what Jesus did when he was here on the earth and he's saying, okay, now this is what the Christians are going to do. And in Acts 20, we almost have the Last Supper of, of Paul compared to the Last Supper of Jesus. Very, very important passage. It's a passage that we have to take very, very sin sincerely and seriously. There's five things that I want to share with you this morning that I think are very, very important. Next one. That's it. The five things that I find in this passage, number one, for Christians to be disciples, they have to learn to characterize the love of Christ. And I'll show you where that, that happens in Acts 20. They also have to know how to communicate the word of Christ. They also have to confess the lordship of Christ. Four, they have to connect with the community of Christ. And number five, the disciples commit to conformity to Christ. What is Paul telling us here? He talks about the character of the love of Christ. You know, when we read Matthew chapter 28, like we have done the last three weeks, go in all the world and make disciples. That is the commandment that Jesus gave to his church and to his disciples. Go in all the earth, go in all the world and make disciples. And then we say, well, how? And Paul shows us that one of the most important things when we go and make disciples is that we have to learn how to love. We have to learn how to love, but who do we have to learn how to love? You know, in the New Testament, when Paul is talking, and even Jesus, actually, when Paul is talking to the church, he never says, come to church. What does he say? Church, go. And so what God wants us to do is to go into society and to be able to help them to understand who Jesus is, but in a specific way. When we look at Thessalonians, we see that Paul, he goes to Thessalonica, he enters into the city, and then he lives among the Thessalonian believers. There's a model there. Paul starts his message here in Acts 20 saying, you know 
how I have acted from the first day that I put my foot in Asia. And then he comes and he gets to Ephesus. Then he works with the Jews in the synagogue and then he works with the, uh, in the school and he becomes a part of the community of Christians that are in Ephesus so as to be able to teach them what, they, what, what, he, what has to be taught. But what, what gets me here is the idea, what do we have to do to make disciples? We don't stay in church. We go out and we become part of the communities that are around us. Our first priority as Christians and as disciples is not to prioritize ourselves, but it is to prioritize the people that are around us. Jesus died for who? He died for the world. He didn't die just for, I'm not a Calvinist, complete Calvinist. Sorry, Doug, if you're listening to this. But I, I really believe that Jesus came and he died for the whole world. Well, the whole world is not in here. The whole world is out there. And what we have to do is we have to go and become part of that world. The Bible says don't love the things of the world, but the Bible does not say disassociate yourself with the world. What you have to do is you have to be in front of non-believers so that they can see Jesus and they can learn themselves how to be disciples. We will never accomplish God's mission of evangelism and of making disciples, and I do not necessarily disassociate the two. We will not do it unless we go. And where can we go? Our family. Our neighbors, our friends at work, our colleagues, our friends that we've had for a long time. There are literally tens of thousands of people, as Nick told us when he reported what uh, Alex, uh, Alex Strzok said, when he said that, you know, we've got to be in front of people and we have a possibility of influencing, I think it was 80,000 or 70,000 people if we're really charismatic like someone I know, or 10,000 people if we're really introverted. But we literally, because of our lives, have the opportunity of being witnesses and being disciple makers in our everyday lives. But I, you know, what happens, and I know this, I've experienced it, and I've fought against it. We become Christians, and we love one another. Well, I'm sorry, we're supposed to love one another. That's what God tells us. But God tells us, they will know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. So we must love. But we also must go. We must go to those that are around us. When was the last time you spoke to someone in your family about Jesus? I know what happens. We become believers. We witnessed everybody in our family. And after a while, after they conked us on the head several times, and even worse, we shut up. And years later, we, don't, you know, we still haven't talked to the member of our family that we talked to so many years ago. Not right. There are people around us that we have 
to be able to show the Lord. There are people around us that are waiting for us. One man taught me many years ago, he said, Les, every meeting you have, every person that you meet is a divine encounter. There is no one in our lives, whether it be at the grocery store, whether it be at school, whether it be in the yard, no matter where we are, every person that we come in contact with is a divine encounter, and God is already working in their lives, for good or for bad. But God is working. We are not meant as Christians just to be there and enjoy one another and enjoy everything that God gives us. We are on a mission. As disciples, we are on a mission. And that mission is to the world, which means we've got to find ways of getting out and getting to them. You know, we say to ourselves, well, what do I have to do so that they start to listen? Very easy. Be present and love. Be present and love. you got to be in their lives. So that means that when sometimes you're going to have to invite neighbors that are not Christians to come over and have a cup of coffee or in Quebec have a bottle of beer. You're going to have to at work when they decide, well, we're, you know, we have this thing that we're doing as a, a, a team at work. We're going out and we're going to a five to seven or whatever. And would you like to come? There was a time in my Christian life I would say, no, I'm not going. I'm a Christian. Let me tell you, it wasn't a good testimony. Doesn't mean that when you go out with them, you have to do the same things that they do. As long as you are present with them and you love them. God wants us to love them. At times we want so much to give the gospel message, the four, the four spiritual laws, that we forget about the person completely. We're not interested in the person. We're just interested in getting our information across. It's wrong. God has called us to love. And love, Paul tells us, he says, I have served in all humanity. I have served with tears and persecution. You know what humility is? It is not how I concern myself. It is not how I look at myself. Humility is how I act toward others. Are they more important than me? There was one time when my, even members of my family would invite Lou and I and say, okay, we're having this and this thing, would you come? And we said, no, 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 because we've got this and that activity at church, and that is very important to us. It was wrong. You see, the people that are all around us are living lives. They're understanding life. They have a, 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 a world vision that, or envisions uh, uh, monde. Uh, a worldview that is completely different from our own. They don't think like us. They don't will like us. They don't talk like us. Everything is different. But what we have to do as Christians, we have to love them and learn how to love them. We started a church in Rivière Baudet. Because what, would do, what we would do is we would always find a person that was interested in the gospel. Not necessarily a believer, but interested in the gospel. 
And we would participate with this person in his life in different things. And then all of a sudden he'd say, okay, or she would say, come over to my house. Uh, you know, I've got some friends. We'd like, we'd like to hear a little bit more about this. So this happened down in Riviera Baudet, and we went down to Riviera Baudet, and we, we lived with them, we did what they did. Uh, we participated with them in some of the things that they were participating in. We learned to, we learned to love them. And later on, you know, they, it's amazing the kind of people you're going to meet. Literally, we have met killers. Literally. Literally, we have met people very violent. We have met people really out of it. We have met people, I, I went to one study where the guy beat me up. Uh, and you know what, we're called, we're called to love them. I know this is gonna drive some of you crazy, but when we started the church in Revere Baudet, I'll never forget it, because they believed, and I told our group this week that there was one woman, she was in her 60s, and she so much wanted to get baptized because we taught and preached that you believe, baptize right away. And it was winter, well, not winter, it was spring. And in River Baudet, in the house where we were meeting, there was a river running over around the house. And the woman says, well, you know, I'd like to be baptized. And one of the guys that was there, he said, okay, well, I'll break the ice. And so they broke the ice and we baptized this woman. I think she's still alive today. <laughs> but then, you know, also after we baptized them, the first meeting and the only meeting that we invited them to was the breaking of bread. Well, people, brethren, we'd have people coming out to the breaking of bread. And these were new Christians. You know, they'd be drinking beer, they'd be smoking, and right away what you want to do is you want to tell them, hey, as a Christian, that's not the way to act. It just doesn't work that way. They have to grow. They have to know. They have to experience God where they are. And while they're doing that, we're called to love them. People out there, they live immoral lives. People out there, they cheat, they lie, they hurt. People out there, they do stuff that we would never think of doing among the Christians. And we become a little bit like the Pharisees in the sense that the Pharisees, they, what they wanted to do is they wanted to make sure that their group was the best group and no one was going to touch it. And so they became exclusive brethren. I can say these things because I'm not going to preach for a long time now. <laughs> brethren, brethren, what we have to do is we have to love these people in a way that we wait for God to do the work that he's going to do in them. But as we're waiting, we love them. We do not judge them. We do not exclude them even though they don't do necessarily like we want them to do and talk like we want to do. I, it takes time to grow disciples. But as disciples, as God's people, we got to go out and we got to love. Think about it. Take this month that's coming up. Very important month. 
We're going to be here quite often probably. But the Christmas time is family time. What have you planned for your family? What have you planned with your colleagues at work? What have you planned with your neighbors? Who are you inviting to your house? Lula and I, as you know, we've moved. We've got a little condo and don't have our house in Chadi anymore. But most of the people that have already been at our house were not Christians. They're non-Christians. And Lula's having a tremendous, I say to Lula because she really is, she's having a tremendous witness to these people. Tremendous. Get out. Get out and love. Get out and love. The question of communicating. Oh, yeah, got the next, yeah. This is my application. Go. Enter into people's lives. Be among them. And love them as Christ loved us. Communicates the word. You know, Paul uses several terms here in this passage to speak of how he communicated the word of God. He says, I preached to you in public, and I also taught you house to house. Very interesting. He was not limited to one place to be able to share what God had given him. He shared it publicly, but he shared it house to house. If we understand the context of Acts 20 and the early church, we realize that what Paul is saying is that he visited the churches. The churches in the first century in Ephesus were not like this one here today. We're talking about churches that had from 8 to 15 people, maybe maximum. 8 to 15 people. And Paul would go amongst these people to be able to teach them. We here, we get together on a Sunday morning as a global church, like, and we also have small groups. And in those small groups, what we're doing is we're teaching one another to follow the Lord. If you think that it's enough to come on a Sunday morning and get what God wants to give you through teaching, people, rethink. Rethink what you're doing to be able to grow in Christ and become a disciple. We need each other. We need to be taught by one another. God has given different gifts to each person in his church. And to get together, we receive of these gifts. He says, I taught you what was beneficial for you. And I taught you the whole plan of God. This is interesting. I taught you what was beneficial for you. I told my brothers yesterday that when I first started preparing this, I thought of preparing something on evangelism, and there's a, a tool that is used in evangelism that's called the angle scale. And it starts from minus 10 to plus 10, with zero being the moment someone decides to become a disciple. Not that believes, that, well, it is believed, but that decides to become a disciple. Now, let's suppose you have a person at minus 10. That person doesn't believe in God. That person has no desire to know what the Bible says. 
That person does not have any desire to live according to the rules that God has put down. That person is out of there. And God calls us to love that person. What am I going to do when I meet that person? Or I start to enter into that person's life. And I'm going to tell him, hey, listen, you're a sinner. Jesus died for you. Accept him right away and you'll go to heaven. I'm sorry, he just won't listen to you. To be able to apply the word of God where people are takes that first point where we're getting into people's lives and we understand them. And then when we're giving them the word of God, we're giving them the word of God in a way that is appropriate for them. Huberson talked to us about that. He talked about Paul going into the synagogue. He talked about Paul on, at Mars Hill. He talked how he had to change his message according to the people to whom he was talking, to whom he was speaking. Well, it's the same thing with us. We as Christians, especially young Christians, I guess some of us are older too, the first thing we want to do, the only reason that we want people around us that we don't know, we want them, we want to get them there and then we want to bombard them with the four laws, the four spiritual laws. It's not the way to be a Christian. It's not loving them. We've got to be in the Word of God, and we've got to understand the Word of God and know the Word of God so that when we are with these people and something happens, we are able to apply the Word of God contextually and well to their needs. Paul says, I have taught you everything that was needed. He also says, I taught you a whole plan of God. The whole plan of God for him was something that started in Genesis and for him, was still going on with his ministry, but in a way finished with Jesus and with Jesus' return. How many of you, how many of us, have read the Old Testament? How many of us know the plan of God? Seriously. How do, you know, do we know the plan of God? Louis and I have been asked to maybe prepare something for a series after Easter, and, you know, I'm thinking very seriously about this. I spoke to Louis. He's the boss. He'll decide in the end. But, you know, well, I would like us to understand what's going on in the Old Testament. We take verses here and there and here and there, and we take them out of context, and we have no idea how the plan is unfolding in the world and in our own lives. Are we able to take a person and to say, listen, God started this and he's going to finish there and this is how he's doing it. So that we're not just talking verses, talking principles to people. We're giving them something that they really can take a hold of and see from the beginning to the end. Get it? He says also, I shared the kingdom of God. It's two places, I believe, in the Acts where the kingdom of God is mentioned. Here in Acts 20 and also in the last chapter. Paul preached the kingdom of God. I would not doubt that if I asked each person here to give me a definition of the kingdom of God, we'd, we'd get quite a few definitions of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? 
The kingdom of God is the element or the theme that is the most important for us as disciples. Do you realize that? The most important. What's happening? He also said, I teach you repentance and believe in Jesus. Repentance of what? Belief in what? I believe that Jesus came. I believe what he said he taught and what he did. Is that what I believe? Belief is always in a person. Not necessarily in a thing or an idea. What we're trying to teach people as they become disciples, we're trying to teach them how to live each day in repentance in the sense of, listen, I'm living my life the way I want. I'm turning away from God. And now what God wants me to do is he wants me to turn around and say, okay, this is the way you have to live now. This is the way you live so that you can experience me. That I can accomplish my design, my plan here on earth. We take our lives and we try to live it the way that we think is the right way and we screw it up royally. Think about your life. Think about everything that's bugging you this morning. Think about everything that you've been doing. Think about the way that you're living with God and then what God says, listen, stop it. Stop doing it yourself. Turn around, look at me. I am there. Jesus said in Matthew 28, I am with you until the end of time. In one of our studies this week, in one of the Bible studies this week, one person shared the idea, you know, I read, read all this and I look at the disciples, I look how they live, but he says, I don't eat with them. I don't hear them. I don't talk to him. I don't see his miracles. What that person was trying to communicate is a lack of experience with God. What God is calling us to as disciples is to experience him. Experience him in a way that goes beyond anything we can imagine. There is no, no advantage to having lived in the first century and having walked with Jesus than today. Because the Bible says that Jesus is with us forever. He has given us his spirit and he has called us to follow him and to walk with him. We can experience things with the Lord and with Jesus that we cannot imagine if we just decide to do what God wants, to turn around, to believe in Jesus. And believe in Jesus is not something we do once and for all. Belief in Jesus is asked of us every single day, every single moment, every single hour. You could say, or you can even translate belief as faithfulness. And what God is asking us is be faithful to Jesus and who he is. Again, as Christians, you know, we think, oh, I believe everything's okay. I can do what I want. And even if we don't say it, we do it. And God says, that's not being a disciple. Being a disciple is repenting and then following him as a disciple, believing the person of Christ as we go forth and experiencing the person of Christ and living the person of Christ. I know I got three more, but I'm only going to do one more, okay? The idea of committing to the community of God. 
You cannot be a disciple and you cannot make disciples unless you become a part of the community of disciples. Like I said, Paul, when he spoke in Acts 20, he spoke to the elders. The way that I have studied it, the way that I believe it happened, was that in Ephesus, they had all kinds of small churches. Very similar, very similar to our small groups. Eight to 10 people, 12 people. And then they had people that would take care of all of the house churches within Ephesus. They became known as elders. Some of these elders were also these episcopos, the surveillants, the overseers within the churches. You could be an overseer without being an elder, but you could not be an elder without being an overseer. And so what was happening is you had these people looking out for these different Christians within these small groups, within these small churches, so that they could grow. And we each need that. We need people within our church that are going to take these small groups and they're going to help them become disciples and they're going to help them to live their lives as God wants them to live. We need that. I know we live in a democratic world and so we get together and we say, okay, you had this to say, you had that to say, and who cares what they say? as long as they say something. That's the character or the attitude that we have when we get together. And no one says anything that's not better than someone else. That's baloney. God has given us people with gifts that can teach us, that can encourage us. God has given us gifts of people that can confront us. God has given us gifts of people that can serve us. And how do we learn how to do that? In a small group. We will never, in a big group, be able to do that. No matter how much I want to love Rudy, I want to love Dave, I try to love Stephen. No matter what, no matter what, I cannot do it just on a Sunday in the big meeting. I can't do it. And I cannot be a disciple just doing it on a Sunday either. We have to get together and be the disciples that God wants us to be. Let's stand, please. I ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I was reading a man of God this week, Dallas Willard. And in the book that I was reading, he said, the reason why we do not have disciples these days is because people are not deciding to become a disciple. They're just happy doing what they're doing. They're just happy being say, oh, I'm saved. I got eternal life. The blood has covered me and everything's good. The baptism moment is the moment for decision. I don't know if everyone here has been baptized, but I'm probably sure, and I'm not being bad here, that everyone here has not taken a decision to become a disciple. To live as a disciple, to live with Jesus, going into the world and the people that are around us, and living as God wants so that these people can see Jesus in us. Have you decided to become a disciple? Willard says, take out a piece of paper, 
take two or three hours during the day, make this an important decision in your life, and say to God, either on your knees or wherever you are, say to God, listen, listen, Lord, I've been living in a way that's wrong. I've been living in a way for myself. I've been living in a way that's against you. Please, Lord, please, by your grace and by your spirit, may you take me at this time, me, Leslie Muirhead, I am offering myself up to you as your disciple. I'm deciding today to follow you. Whether you be man, woman, young, old. The young people back there that were baptized two weeks ago, that baptism was your moment of decision. Do you understand that? It wasn't just a question of going into cold water. It was a question of, hey, I'm becoming a disciple. Where are you today? Have you really decided to follow Jesus, the Lord Jesus? Today in the world, the liturgical world, you know what the festival is today? The festival, festival of Jesus Christ, the King. Would be wonderful if today you are standing there, you might bow your head and say, Lord, today, I follow you. I take a decision to be a disciple. I take a decision to let you be Lord. Father in heaven, look at the hearts. Listen to the minds. Be close to the wills. And oh, Father, we just pray that you might work in the hearts of these people. Lord, we would love, we would love Rosemont Bible Church and the community that's here. We would just love it if you, you could seize us, Father, that we could become a community of disciples and that we would go out and that we would, we would show the world the reality of Jesus in our lives. Father, I, my heart believes it so strongly that this is possible, but each of us has to decide to. Oh, Lord, help us. Be merciful to us. Have pity on us. Please, Lord, teach us to love. Teach us to desire you. Teach us to have a passion for you. Oh, Lord, the people that are here and maybe in their hearts they're deciding today to make you their Lord, to, to, to become your disciple. Oh, Lord, please, please. Let them speak to others. Let them become part of a small group. Let them be helped. Help them to even share it, either with their family, with the other people that are here today. Oh, Lord, we pray the power of your Holy Spirit on us. May you fill us. Be glorified.